No subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. And tonight, that is uh, really true because it's, as I joked uh, on all our various areas there, uh, it's the first ever, and since it's our last season, I guess technically last, uh, Halloween special. I can't believe we've never done a show live on Halloween night, but uh, we've we finally done it, and we have uh, the perfect guest. If we were having like a, if we were doing like UFOs or conspiracies or something, I wouldn't call it a Halloween special. But this is like, it all worked out so perfectly. And I think I said this on the show last week, but uh, you know, I I had the uh, had the awesome opportunity to meet our guest tonight, Linda Godfrey, at the International Cryptozoology Conference up in Portland around Labor Day weekend, and um, and we plan to do the show again. And I, I really, I kind of like envision. I really, I was like, I'm gonna get her on in October because it's like monsters and stuff. And and you know things get away from you and I was trying to I was trying to figure out you know when we we're gonna do it and everything and I'm like oh, Linda she must be so busy and she was very busy it was hard to pin her down and finally I was like well, this is a complete shot in the dark but and I, I really feel terrible for asking but is there any way possibly that you're not doing anything on Halloween night and she was free so hence the uh, hence the Halloween spooktacular here tonight uh, the first and last ever Halloween special because. I was absolutely psyched. Like I said, when I was talking to her in my mind, I'm visioning it. It would be so cool if I could interview her on Halloween night, but don't get your hopes up. But we're doing it. And Linda Godfrey is here uh, to talk about the book Monsters Among Us, which actually came out uh, over a year ago. But, you know, I was barely doing shows last year, so we didn't get a chance to have her on. So it all worked out. It was, it was kismet because here she is tonight on Halloween night, uh, October 2017. Welcome back to the show, Linda. It was an absolute Thrill getting the chance to meet you in Portland, and I'm psyched that we got you on the show tonight to uh, talk about the book and celebrate Halloween with listeners. Yes, I was uh, just that was a fabulous, fabulous conference, and I was so glad to see you in person and all kinds of other people. And yeah, it just happens. I normally don't book Halloween evening for anything because I love the trick and treaters too, <laughs> too much. It's kind of a big thing with me. You know, I decorate my vestibule up and everything. Um, but for some oh, reason, nice. the timing just worked out so well. Yeah, I thought, well, why not? This would be perfect. And I'm so sorry this is going to be your last season. Yeah, it's it's the last season of the show, but we're I'm going to be doing other stuff. I want to do I want I got a, I got like three or four book ideas. I, I want to take the time to finally, you know, do do stuff. You know, <laughs> that makes sure. any sense. Sure. You know, it's, oh yeah. It's it's been fun interviewing people, but it's like. 
you, you interview people for so long that are doing exciting things, like writing books like Monsters Among Us, and then all of a sudden you're <laughs> like, oh, my God, I've been doing this for a decade. It's like, I'd like to go do yeah. something. <laughs> so so that's yeah, what I'll be, that's I, what I'll be doing, you know. No, I understand. I worked for the newspaper for 10 years after the Beast of Bray Road story came out. And after long, somewhere about, oh, eight to nine years, I realized I was re-interviewing some of the same people, you know, that I'd started with before. And it's it's not like this field where, you know, the authors kind of come and cycle as long as they have new books coming. This is where you're trying to find within a, a tri-county area, you know, enough really good meaty stories to do. And there's just only so many of them. So I was ready to start something else. And that's when I quit and uh, mm. began doing the books. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I can see you probably can identify with I was kind of laughing today where I was saying it's like if you're a ghost hunter, this is like today's you're you're like you're like a fat guy with a bushy white beard on on Christmas today. It's like this is when everyone everyone wants to talk to ghost hunters like they're on they're on the news whether it's the Poughkeepsie Ghost Paranormal Group or or you know the Tulsa Tulsa Ghostbusters like they they find their way out of the local local news. It's like everybody wants to talk about this stuff this time of year it's great yeah and the same with with the subjects of my books although i i keep trying to pound it into people's heads that um you know monsters and upright canines and bigfoot are really not halloween type things they're they're really not those spooky spooky spectral types of things that really scare people on halloween you know they don't really have much as as well as much as i can tell to do with ghosts, although some people might claim a few exemptions, because there are all different types <laughs> yeah. of upright, hominoid-looking things, you know, and, and uh, they they vary in many ways. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Well, we'll dispel the rumors and, and, and confusion tonight on the show, so that's great, but yeah, absolutely. It's like, these are, uh, as I was kind of marveling to you in Portland, it's like, these are hard to, they're hard to pin down in a lot of ways, and you mention it in the right. book where it's like, it's like there's – I mean, I, I think it was you who was telling me this, but I may be mistaken, but it was like like this this, this dog man, for lack of a better term, this sort of like whole genre like was kind of – it wasn't exactly it – didn't, it didn't enter into the realm of cryptozoology until like the last few years um, where now it's like people are kind of opening their minds to like, all right, we're – like it's been around for so long – People are finally like looking at it in a different light, where they're like, "All right, where do we put this to start? Like, where does this even, where does this even go?" Right, right. Because a lot of people, really, until the last few years, and I still get it occasionally, um, insisted that it could not be anything but a dog-headed, snout-nosed Bigfoot that walked like a dog walks, which is on its toe pads, which is so completely different. Those are all the things that define a canine versus a primate, you know. So that just never made any sense to me at all. And um, other people were just denying that it existed or that if it was, it was some sort of um, just fluke occult happening, all kinds of different things to just sort of shunt it aside. But Eventually, you know, every time I wrote a book and it came out, I would get so many um, responses from people all around the country, the U.S. and the world, that another book would come after that. And eventually there were just, you know, I just kept uh, churning out the books as they came to me so that the stories would be out there. 
and eventually it took hold. And also, I think the Internet had a lot to do with that, too, because, you know, originally when I started writing the books, I think my first two books, The Beast of Bray Road and, and The Poison Widow, came out in 2003. And there was Internet, but not in the way it is today. You know, there there was right, no right. such thing as the, the Facebook page. Um, not many people were on Facebook. I can remember one of my sons saying to me, Mom, there's this new thing. They call it Friendster, and I can find you know, one of my <laughs> yeah, friends, yeah. and then meet his friends, you know. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's just the technology wasn't there to spread it as easily as it is now. And now there are all different, you know, people coming up with, I mean, it's on not just TV shows, which was one way of spreading it in the beginning, but all the podcasts that people come up with and people that are oh, yeah. know, reading and sometimes kind of sensationalizing um, or having witnesses um, just call in and, and tell their own story. So you can get the information so many more ways. I think it finally struck home with people that, hey, there cannot be this many people all over the U.S. and the world telling us these about these sightings that are, by and large, pretty much um, identifiable as, as an upright canine type of thing, unless they're really were people seeing it you know it doesn't mean we know what it is but i think it hit home that these many people are seeing it that it would be impossible for such a large widespread well um integrated collusion to take place you know where everybody where there was say you know fifteen thousand people who had all agreed to report make a false report about a canine you know that i mean you just have to stretch uh, farther than just having the idea of okay they're seeing something what is it um, you know to come up with all these other explanations exactly and I noticed like uh, a pattern sort of in a sense in the book from the cases that you investigated um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong because uh, maybe I mean maybe there are I'm sure there are other cases that didn't make it into the book but it's like I, I got the impression that these people who had these different experiences um they they weren't like Linda Godfrey fans, and then they had the experience. Like they had the experience, no, no. and then they were trying to figure out what what they saw, and they found you. Right. Right. So it's yeah, just a peop, you know, so so the idea works. that like this is induced, you know, that like, you know, they they read about this thing that's kind of becoming a a thing, uh, and then all of a sudden they were like they saw it. And no, they did. They had no idea this was a thing. <laughs> that's really true, and you know, many people. Um, because, I mean, it's not something that's on your daily news every day. Many people, it's just under their radar, and they can go 10, 20, 30 years before realizing there are other people who saw the same thing. They'll carry this burden with them all that time thinking, man, something's wrong with me. I'm the only one that ever saw this. You know, what is? why did I see that? They're, and they really kind of suffer in a way until um, they get a chance to talk. They'll just say, I'm just so glad to talk to somebody who doesn't think I'm crazy. And it is true with the Monsters Among Us book, that is actually kind of a different subset of sightings that have been reported to me because I also realized that over the years, and it's been like 26 years now since I broke that first story and have been collecting the reports ever since, um, it dawned on me that although I try to be really open, sometimes you know, reports come in that just seem so far out of the box and, and you don't know how to align them with the other reports that, you know, I might not have been um, putting them all out as I should. And I realized I wanted to call this book um, The Stranger Side of Strange Creatures, but 
Luckily, better heads than mine prevailed at the publisher because they came up with a great title. But um, the, the idea was was to show that there are also sightings. Well, probably, you know, a rough estimate of maybe 90% just show something that looks like a, a wolf or a dog or a hybrid wolf dog walking on its hind legs. It's got a long snout. It's got the pointed ears on top of the head, fangs, um, you know, animal eye shine, usually yellow, yellow, green something like that, walking on its toe pits. It's got a tail covered with fur. It's not like part dog, part wolf, part human. It's almost entirely canine. It's just that it runs on its hind legs, which is not a supernatural right. feat. It's it's something any of them can do. But then there's this other, you know, somewhere between, I don't know, 10 to 7%, it's hard to say exactly, where people do occasionally see one metamorphosing or they'll see it glowing as if it had bioluminescence or, um, you know, it will just do wacky things. It'll be wearing a hoodie and smoking a cigarette. And there's, you know, several <laughs> good witnesses. Uh, seriously, I have one uh, incident very similar to that in, in the book. Things that don't make any sense, but they still were very real, often witnessed by more than one person at the same time, you know, who agree on it, so they weren't hallucinating. And I thought, really, if I'm not putting these types of, reports out, then I'm really not investigating fully because I'm prejudging. I'm saying, well, there have to be some things that can't be right. Who am I to say that, really? You know, I've, I've always, from the beginning, tried to be the reporter and report accurately what other people were telling me, you know, and not be putting my own spin or my own conclusions on any of the stories. You know, I do not have an agenda for what I like it, want it, or need it to be, you know, whatever mm. it turns out. Yeah to be is is uh fine with me i would like to know i'm not sure that'll happen in my lifetime but um <laughs> you know it, it it really is not investigating if you don't leave yourself open to possibilities absolutely yeah yeah well that's you you, you touched on a number of reasons why i'm a big linda godfrey fan because uh you know i was blown away in portland um you know listening to your presentation because you know you're throwing all these you're, you're kind of like you're kind of like uh uh, brainstorming in a sense, or spitballing up there, you know, what, uh, the different <laughs> things this could be, or the different reasons why this could be, and it was like so refreshing because, uh, you know, thankfully you got your hands on this originally instead of somebody else, because some other people could be like, it's a dog species of Pete, you know, and have some crazy <laughs> theory like that they push, but you, you were up there trying, being like, it could be this, could be that, you know, we're trying to figure it out, we don't know. It's like, thank you, <laughs> thank you. But yeah, you know, it's very know. mystifying. You know, I, find, it, I find the topic very mystifying. It is. It is. And there are quite a few people who will make up their minds and who have decided it is this and it is that or it isn't that without really having the ability to know for sure. I mean, we how can you know that for sure hmm. um, unless you've really had, even if you've had a good look at one, and I do take the opinions of those who have seen one up close and interacted with it, you know, maybe a little more strongly than others, because I think they do have a right to to um, believe based on a close-up encounter if they if they are lucky enough to have something like that and walk away. Although I don't, again, I don't have injuries reported almost never um, in 26 years, just maybe two two incidents in all that time. But yeah, it's just. Um, I, I, and I don't blame people for having that idea, for wanting to say, well, okay, I know that this is what it is, and I believe that, and that's that. 
because it's human nature. And it's really hard to go against that human nature. We want to name things. We want to figure out right away whether it's safe for us, harmless or harmful, because it's sort of instinctive, or we wouldn't be here as a species yeah. if we didn't have that sense, you know, of of figuring out rather quickly whether, you know, we, it should be fright or flight, whether we should run away or try and catch something. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of people yeah, say, well, if I saw one. It is. It is. You know, we we have that natural that natural way, yeah. instinct within us. Yeah, and and so I don't blame people for being human and wanting to call it something. But um, for myself, you know, like people will say, well, if I saw one, you know, I would just run up to it. And I'm like, really? Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, you, you don't. You can think you know what it is, and that's fine with me. But do you really? know what it is have, you know have yeah that's, a, that's an easy thing to say from the safety of twitter folks <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah that's wow this is, that's kind of a good segue in a sense because there was one line that you mentioned or you you had in the book that uh i was like oh poor linda because um, you said there's a story in there which is touching on what we already we sort of touched on already is that these like people who have these experiences um you know, they're they're just like happy to talk to somebody about them. And the, one of the first stories in the book is about these uh, a brother and sister who like encountered what sounds like a man who sort of transformed into a wolf man or a werewolf or a dog man or or a bipedal canine cryptid as I like to call them because that's the most uh, encompassing. And um, you mentioned in the book that you're like that's not exactly something you see all the time or hear about all the time. Uh, people people right. uh, seeing that transformation. And I thought, I thought the part where I said, poor Linda was, uh, then you mentioned, well, I get email or I get letters or something, you know, I get, people communicate to me sometimes and they say that, uh, that they're werewolves and they can transform into werewolves. But until I see the video of that, I'm going <laughs> to have to be skeptical yeah. of it. And I was just thinking to myself, like, who, who are these people writing to you? Like that's, that are saying this. It's so, it seems so silly. So. <laughs> Well, you know, my thought is if they are so anxious to have us believe that they are real and that they do transform, um, you know, and that the Hollywood style of werewolves is, is reality, if they're that anxious, well, then they should be willing to back up their words, you know, by I, I say next time you have your girlfriend change you, chain you in the basement because it's a full moon, set up a video camera over in the corner where you can't knock it down, and then send me the video. And exactly. I'll put it on YouTube, exactly. And then we'll all then we'll all know. And so far, I've never received a reply after that. And I've only done that several, you know, three three times maybe. There well, are I love very it because it's people. like, yeah, it's just to me, it's like I hear, I'm like reading that thing. I'm like, oh, you know, that's the kind of thing that frustrates <laughs> me. Uh, this kind of popped into my head uh, when we were talking earlier. Um, and I may this I I I. I may have missed one of your stories if this does happen, um, but is there the big thing in Bigfoot research now, or the Bigfoot community, let's say, is uh, sort of this idea of like cohabitation. Now I know there are stories in the book where like bipedal canine cryptid uh, come, you know, kind of like revisits the place multiple occasions. But there are any stories that you've heard yet? Because I feel like this will be something that comes up someday of like someone claiming that one of these things 
frequents their property and they have a uh, a friendly relationship. It's kind of almost like that. Per- the people claiming to be werewolves. It's like uh, you know that they're gonna that they say, oh yeah, there's one. He comes through my yard and I leave apples for him and and you know, but I can't tell you where I live in Illinois or something like that. I know that there are people. I have some good friends who really believe that most of the upright canines canines are like that and harmless, but. Um, they the the few that I know like that don't talk about cohabiting with them. They still res- they have a lot of respect. It's not like you'd want to go up and you know cuddle with it or pet it like a dog or anything like of, of right, that. Right. Most of the people I know who've had them hanging around their pop- property are terrified and <laughs> don't yeah. want it there, you know, properly. And well, what what I recommend people say, well, what should we do if we see one? And my answer is always. Treat it with the same respect that you would have for any other large predatory animal because Mm. if they are part wolf or part wolf hybrid, which are sometimes even uh, more dangerous around men because they don't have that fear of men, um, then you want to just give it the respect of giving it its space. You know, and there are other things you can do. You can, I have learned over time there are things that discourage it, which is they don't like lights. You know, I always tell people to get yard lights the brightest they can and preferably either motion-activated or remote-controlled so they can flip them on. Yeah, just flip them on easily. And put as many electronic devices around your house as you can. You know, get a couple cheap trail cams, um, whatever else you can have out there that seems like an electronic or monitoring. They do not like kind of like no-nos. And then... Um, it's now this seems counterintuitive because a lot of people do believe they're natural creatures. I'm kind of squarely on the fence on on this one myself because I've seen examples of both. But they do seem to be deterred somewhat when people have um, religious services and when, um, with, like with say Christians, it would be holy water maybe, or with um, a Native American, it might be. Um, a sage sage smoke that you put it they yeah. put it around the perimeters of the property and over the windows and have a blessing of the house and the property and sometimes that does it i've had some people just get so fed up they went out and stood and yelled on and went on their porch and yelled at them to leave them alone and never come back and yeah. sometimes that is that has happened too you know and and seemed to work for people and lots of times these are the people who will write to me I've had more than I've ever been able to put out in print because they, they'll write to oh, me sure. and tell me, but they do not want even an anonymous accounting of what happened to right, them. Right. They're just—they're completely terrified. They want the subject to just go away and leave them alone forever, and yeah. they don't want it in print. So it—it it does happen, and um, there is hope. See, that's the kind of thing might... that, that I can imagine. Um... There's a slight delay, I think, between our two voices, so I may cut you off by accident, and 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 uh, there may be a pause after I finish talking. So I apologize, and I'll try not to. <laughs> um, sure. No, nope. no problem. That's the kind of thing that that uh, you know kind of drives me crazy a little bit, and I can imagine it must be, you know, you, you seem like a more patient person than me. So maybe, and you've been <laughs> dealing with this for two decades plus. But it's like, I hear you say that. And then you hear, like, the skeptical argument where it's like, oh, these people make up their stories or, you know, it's like they're not making up their stories if they're telling Linda they don't want to ever anyone else to ever know. Like, that's that's the antithesis of somebody making up right. their story. Like, you know, it's right. – it's, uh, yeah. 
Because when you yeah, hear that kind right. of stuff, that's the kind of thing, you know, it's like, oh, this this sounds, this 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 is real, folks. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. like if you're hearing from people who you are do. like, don't ever tell a soul that this happened to me, it's like, okay, that's, <laughs> I kind of believe that more than, more than uh, I thought I might, you know. Right, right. Yeah, and there are people, I mean, occasionally I'll, I will meet someone that I believe is making it up or, Sometimes they'll just lie to me right in my face. Not very many, and this is a very small minority of people. It's happened maybe two or three times in 26 years where I've said, are you telling me the truth or are you lying to me? And they'll go, we're not lying. No, we're not lying. And then I find out that they were. And that's yeah. happened twice, twice. And I was suspicious both times, but I kind of you know, thought, well, if they say right out loud that they're not lying, where are you supposed to go? I can't afford to give polygraph tests to people. They cost right, right, right. dollars and up, you know. And actually, the the one time we did have all the polygraph tests taken was in the the uh, episode American Monsters, or excuse me, American Werewolves of Monster Quest in their first season, which was mm. based pretty much on my book Hunting the American Werewolf. And it did, yeah. by, by the way, I always mention this, it did also include Bigfoot witnesses, and it was not made clear in the production that this was so. You know, so it sounds like they're all talking about the upright canines, but some of the some of the witnesses are talking about Bigfoot in that, and it was just it was a surprise to me when the show came out and I watched it for the first time. But yeah, that's uh, that weird. was how they that was how they chose to do Were it. They... But regardless, of, I'm sorry, regardless of that. Um, eight or nine people, more than actually were able to fit onto the finished show. And every single person came out um, with no um, uh, lying or whatever you want to call it, intended or used. Everybody passed it perfectly. And I know the producers were shocked because there were a couple of people they didn't believe had a strong enough story and thought might uh, fail it. But every single person passed it strongly. So That's great. That yeah. Well, I, gen, I I hate I, I hate the sort of expression, but I must use it in a sense because it's true. I probably just hate it because it just leads us to no answers. But it's like I believe that they believe they had this experience. You know what I'm saying? It's like I I don't know what happened right. to them. You know, I'm not quite sure. And I think it's, I, it's one of the more no, vexing. This is really really vexing mystery. Uh, Linda. It is. It is. And no, and I I do think that it's okay and valid to think of it that way. Um, you know, there are lots of ones that I don't pretend to understand, but I do believe that the person had the experience and it was real to him as or her as they described it. And sometimes I will if it's really out there like a couple of the stories in Monsters Among Us, um I had the people sign um statements saying that as to the best of their knowledge, everything that they told was true and correct. And I do also take the time to vet things as best I can. You know, if they mention just incidental things like town names or, um, you know, certain facts or things that should have been going on at that time um, or something like the weather that I can go back and check, I do that. And almost always it checks out very well. And usually there's such weird incidentals that no one would ever think to put into a story, you know, or, or that someone would fact check it. But um, it almost yeah, always exactly. turns out it's like, that I, yeah, on Golden yeah. Pond. Yeah, it was like we, we went we went to see the you know the first night it was on Golden Pond. It's like oh you can match that. It's like okay he's telling the truth. Exactly. Why, why would he include that in the story? Yeah. 
Well, what one I want to like kind of hone in a little bit on the one part of the book because I was absolutely compelled by this stuff. I was riveted, and and that's sort of like this whole and you bring it up at the beginning of the book and and then really delve into it with this like mist stuff is the is the whole like sort of portal idea. We have kind of a portal obsession here on the show. Uh, I told you about this in Portland. I don't know if you got the chance to to check out Adam Davies' experience, but Adam Davies had an encounter with a portal that's like. Uh, just captured the imagination of everyone who's heard it and listens to the show. It's one of these things that comes up all the time. So when I was reading your book, I was like, portals! Um, because I find them fascinating, and I I think that's another thing that's kind of starting to emerge a little bit more. But this talk about a controversial topic. It's like people flip out if you start bringing up portals. They do. They do. Because I think – the general traditional view of portals is that it's something from fairy tales. You know, it's something like, um, you know, somebody getting lost in a fairy kingdom and they eat the magic biscuit and turn into a fairy themselves. You know, there's so many fairy tale aspects of it. It's very hard for us to grasp that something like this could be real. And, you know, I'm just like everyone. It's hard, hard for me too. But when you consider that our top leading physicists right now have carried mathematics and phys- physics equations to the point where, and based on experiments, hard hard science, very hard science experiments um, involving the very tiny, most minute parts of matter, that not only are there parallel worlds or other worlds, but that they must intersect and interact with us at some point here and there. There is um, a new a new uh, article on it that I just, this happened to be covered on the Mother Nature Network, which is not, who did, they're just writing about it, that someone else, uh, the the new quantum experiments. But the title of it was Parallel Worlds Exist and Interact with Our World, Say Physicists. And there were a whole bunch of different um, magazines and things that covered this topic. So if you if you Google that, but it was uh, datelined November 6, 2014. So that's only three years ago. And you can find very many other similar things where it's written out um, in detail that I won't go into because I'm not a physicist and not really trained or equipped to talk about such things in detail. But, you know, it it is true that if you go back through human history, all of um, you know, all of our religious text, literary pieces that we have. You know, you go back to the Sumerians, any civilization, anywhere, they all have this sense that there is a somewhere else, that somehow mm, yes. we're we're connected with it. You know, whether it's um, you know the Viking idea of of hell or Valhalla, or the Christian heaven and hell, or you go back to, um, you know, just even even the nature tribes have this idea that there's a another realm where all the animal spirits come from, you know, and mm. that there are spirit people and animal people that belong to these other realms. The idea is there. It's omnipresent. It's like it's built into us. And mm. I think we always have to stop and, and, and pay attention when there's something that's so basic to the human psyche, you know, that... that um, it's it's there. So if this is then there, um, who are we to say that there's no way for us to interact? If there was no way for us to interact with it, we wouldn't know it was there. We wouldn't have all these tales of the heroes going and uh, yeah, you know yeah. coming back. And you know it's 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 something that seems real. And I know people who have seen 
portals where literally looking in the sky and see a square or a window-like opening where it's the opposite time of day than what they are experiencing. It's it's dark and they're looking into sunshine and blue skies. And you can find that sort of experience seems to be happening happening more and more later too. So um, really? I don't know if people are just more aware of it. Well, you just you, maybe people are just more willing to um, accept even listening to stories about it. But it really does go very well with um, a lot of the Native American traditions because right from the beginning I've always thought, well, you know, maybe these are things that were here, you know, that the Native American people knew about and, and have more to say before the Europeans came and they're keeping it in their tribal legacies. And what I've heard from most of them, you know, and I don't mean to say that uh, every Native American tribe is believes the same thing because they're all they're very individual and they have their own nations right, and their right. own thoughts. But this actually is a very widespread idea, which is that the upright canines, which most of them agree exist, and the Bigfoots and some of the water creatures are all primarily or at least originally spirit creatures that came from what they call the spirit world. And I'm sure there's a much more complex way to um, interpret that little phrase than just saying the spirit world because um, their religious ideas are very complex. But let's just say the spirit world and that they came originally from the spirit world and that when they want or need to go back, they can. They know where the windows or the doors or the portals are in order to get back to the the spirit world. And that it's not like when they're here, they can be completely flesh and blood. We hear them, uh, their their feet when they're running. We see them, you know, eating roadkill or whatever they have to eat. They're solid. They leave furs behind. They can leave scat, but they don't always. Sometimes they'll leave footprints, but the footprints start in the middle of a field where there was no obvious place for them to have dropped from, you know. Right, right, yeah. That's kind of, that's how you start. That's how you start the book. That's I was like, exactly. I got very excited. Exactly. Portals. I said, and I was like, yeah. what is so, this? Is this is a portal exactly. story? <laughs> yeah. A lot of a it's lot of it is. Amazing. You know, my takeaway from all of this and all of these things that I've mm-hmm. studied, and and, and the, the Native American tradition just fits the the factual reports as we've received them. Um better than any other paradigm. It, it, it accounts for all the different um, permutations of these creatures that people see. And it makes me think that reality is not heavily one side, all flesh and blood, and then all of a sudden, boom, you're a pixie, pure spirit and something else on the other end of it. I think that it's more of a, a sliding scale of reality is how I see that. you know. And I can find more and more things that sort of bear that out, you know, in, in many ways. Um, you know, the the Bible, of course, myself being a Christian is one place I look. But even in, you know, in other cultures and other religious uh, writings, you can see that same sort of thing where somebody comes from the other realm, they still have some of the the at, the attributes and maybe we call them superpowers now, just for <laughs> a, a kind of a facetious way to look at it. They still have those attributes where people can tell they're a little special, but they can be flesh and, flesh and blood, and, and sometimes they can go back to that other world. So, again, it's just so inherent in us as people that um, I certainly could never dismiss it myself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting when you put it that way because it's like it, – it, it, 
all this, in a sense, it's kind of like we say with like ghosts and angels and demons. It's like all that. It's just, it may just be that we, as a as a as a culture, like can't don't have a collective word for this other side. In a right. sense, you know, right? And, like and it could be we, heaven, it could be hell, it could be it could be also just just like where Bigfoot are. You know, it's like a, a weird. You know, we can't, and it has all different names, all through different cultures and everything. So. Right. It's like it turns out maybe we're all talking about the same thing. Yeah, it usually does. And then again, when you go back and put on top of this the idea that our science is now catching up to these ancient myths, saying to us that there are other realms and that we can interact with them, and the top physicists are saying, yeah, these formulas predict it, and the rest of the formulas have all completely proven out to be correct. So why shouldn't we be thinking, you know, that we've got science on our side and the human experience, and it's not a crazy thing to look into, at least. Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. And it's like, and, and the funny thing is, is because science doesn't look into it, we get these anecdotal stories that are even more, you know, amazing, because cause they're, cause they're like real people. It's not just something that happens in a lab. It's um, It's really... Right. Strange. It's strange. And, and and you talk about how it connects kind of the Native American uh, lore, but also it, in a modern way, not to get too deeply into this, but it's like it also, you know, you hear about this missing 411 phenomenon, and it's like, kind of, well, portals would be a good explanation for where some of these people are disappearing to, you know, if, if yeah. they can come out yeah. of the portals, uh, people may be able to go in or whether they like it or not, whether they want to or not. So who knows? Yeah, I know people who do believe that those missing people are all going into portals. And I can't argue with that because I don't know. I, yeah, maybe not all of them, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever, I hope not all of them. Doing it, yeah, me too. Uh, whatever's doing it leaves very few things in the way of clues, you know, to go hmm. back and, and deduce. I mean, the people most of the time are just gone right. and, and not seen again, you know, and... Uh, I actually believe that my husband and I moved um, about a year ago, and I believe that the woman uh, we bought this house from may have almost been a missing 411 person because we had to delay our house closing um, due to the fact that she and her husband were up in Canada, and they were taking a hike. Actually, she was hiking with her grown son and two small grandchildren. I mean, like toddler and kindergarten. Oh my God, that already sounds like one of those stories. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. And she's, you know, not, not a large woman. You know, I met her. She's um, probably probably about my my height. I'm about five foot one, and um, probably I don't know, sixty-ish, something like that. So they're walking on this trail in one of the big, beautiful forests up in Canada, and it's a nice trail. You know, the, the kids, when you've got little guys that age and they're walking along just nicely, you know that it's a well-kept trail. They weren't making the kids climb over rocks or anything like that. So they're just walking along. The, her grown son is in the front of the line, the two little boys, and then she's bringing up the rear. And all of a sudden, they stopped and turned around, and they couldn't see her. She wasn't there. And so they run back and they look, and she's she's lying Evidently, she's somehow on this nice, easy trail with no slippery things on it, managed to fall over backwards. There was a rock next to her head that they couldn't tell if it had actually hit her or if somehow she had just unexplainably flipped backwards and fallen hard on this rock, which didn't make any sense. 
and she was completely you know, they her, it was uh she had a very bad um case of brain damage to the back of her skull and woke up a month oh my later God. yeah in a hospital in Canada and had absolutely no clue what had happened but it Yikes. was a serious it was a serious enough blow that um she was legally blind from it you know it had destroyed that much of her of her vision just from the the brain. Now, how does a, a healthy walking woman, you know, who hiked and did all that kind of thing, fall over backwards with enough force on a non-slippery surface to give herself brain damage to that degree? I think that whatever it was, and I I have no idea what the agent I have I think that whatever the agent was um try looked at her and thought, well, I don't think she's right for us. And just left her that. Either that or um, the sun turned around just in time or something, you know. But I really believe she was a near miss of the 411 because it just yeah, fit so many weird area. And it just didn't make sense how she would have got. Nobody saw her fall or heard anything at all. And she wasn't far away. It wasn't like she was a half mile behind them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like she, yeah, like it was silent apparently too. Yeah, right. So she didn't yell or scream or, or. No. holler out, you know, in, in pain or anything. So it's like, or or in, in shock, you know. I mean, I know me. If I something I slip like that, there'd be a lot of loud expletives echo, echoing through the forest. <laughs> so, right. you and, know, the fact and, that nobody hurt her is weird. Yeah, I, I don't think she did slip. I really don't because it just doesn't make any yeah, sense. Yeah. And, right, you know, right, and exactly. they didn't hear, they didn't hear anything crashing through the underbrush at her or. Um, you know anything like that? If if it had been something like a cougar sitting up in a tree waiting and deciding to, well, first of all, it would have taken out one of the youngsters first because they always go for the yeah. easiest, so they won't be hurt. But it would have jumped on her back or her neck and bit her in the neck, you know, right, right. thing, and that would have it would have pushed her down onto a rock and run away. So, or maybe I don't claim to know exactly how cougars think, but it's unlikely from things I've read that they would do it that way. So, it's yeah, just, yeah, and you almost like, yeah, part of me is like wonders if it's like uh, <laughs> maybe maybe a bird of prey like swooped down and just smacked her in the head and realized it was like a person, like a it wasn't a rabbit or whatever, it was like a person. But I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I can. Where else would? And then, and then dropped her head on the rock. They would have had to have done because that was the rock. Yeah, or like Jawler, but even then it would be like. Even that, like I said, I mean, if, if a bird swooped down and hit you in the head, I think you'd say something. I think you would yell something. That's like people it's ahead it. of you would be like, "Did you just hear that?" <laughs> Which apparently yeah. did not happen. No, and something with wings that big, something big enough, and it would have to be huge, ginormous, to pick up a woman who weighed—I don't know—she probably weighed 120 pounds, something like that. Oh right, I mean, I, um, I wasn't thinking necessarily that it would have to pick her up. Just could have just swooped down and. Tried to for a second and then been like, oh wait, no, this isn't a rabbit. But who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. very strange. Yeah, more than I can... Very strange. Yeah, yeah, very much so. But you know, this kind of thing can just happen to us on any given day, and we never know. That's that's the thing. People who see most the Bigfoot or the Wolfman or whatever, they're mostly they're not the people who are really dying to see it and out there with you know all kinds of equipment all over them. It's the people who are just going about their business. And then, for some reason, um, happen to chance upon these things, and maybe they're maybe they're chosen to see it. I, some people really feel that way. I don't know if that's true or not, but 
I know that when I've had experiences, it's been times when I was by myself with no camera, nothing, where I just, you know, decided to go um, in a walk and something happened, you know. It was never yeah, yeah. never when I'm all outfitted with a, a, a nice crew and everything like that, although I've had a couple of things happen lately with with people along while while hiking. I'll tell you real quickly, I was um, hiking in the Kettle Moraine State Forest, which is in mm-hmm. uh, southeast. It's quite an unusual sort of landscape. Um, lots of very deep um, crevices and then ridges between them, the glacier, courtesy of our last glacier. And I'm walking along, and I was in a part of the forest where I'd I'd been with um, this this other uh, lady friend of mine, and she and I were um, driven out by something clicking rocks together in several places at the same time. It was it oh, was weird. really really eerie. Yeah, and it was right after she had put down like a little token, and it was an apple and a little piece of bread or something. She likes to feel that she's giving something, you know, so that they know we come in peace. And she had just done that, and then the clicking started. And then there was a second one clicking and another clicking. And we just like finally rocks? just... Like like Like, like, like rocks yeah. being yep. struck together? Yeah, exactly like Yeah, they were, they were rocks, I'm quite sure. And they paced us as we went back out on that path from both sides of the path. It wasn't just one spot. They were We could hear them in the woods on either side making those clicking sounds. Well, I went back a month or two. I went, I went back a month or two ago with, uh, with her and with another good friend, and uh, we went down that same path, and she had some token food along, you know, too, and we were looking for a good place to set it. We didn't want it to seem like we were trying to feed deer or anything like that. And I noticed there was kind of a, a neat formation of branches um, on the below us on the trail. We were on a trail where to one side it went, the, it rose up, and to the other side you had to look down into these trees. And I said, you know, this looks like a good place to leave some food. And I was just getting my camera up, and when I said food, the three of us were all standing and looking down into this lower level of vegetation, and when I said food, this thing came flying up from down there. Now, this is the crab apple, right? Tree, I believe we talked about this. The crab in apple, yeah. yes. Spooky. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it was the crab apple. Crab apples don't fall up off a tree; they fall yeah. down. This thing, this thing, flew up and landed right between our feet on the trail. So it was thrown with pinpoint accuracy from a level below us. And we did all have cameras and things, but um, it was just three women out for a hike, you know, so we probably still didn't seem too imposing. But it was that same area. And it's just too um, just too coincidental. And everybody everybody was just amazed because we had we saw it flying, you know, it came we saw where it came from and we couldn't see anything that was throwing it. There was enough vegetation right, exposed right. to but I think if a human had thrown it, if a human had thrown that, they would have had to have been out in the open in a spot where we could have seen them, and they would have had to be looking at us and throw it overhand like a baseball. Right, right. And when the I, angle it came in towards you and everything, yeah. Right, right. And we didn't see anything like that. So, uh, and people don't usually Very go weird. down when. Yeah, it it is. And people don't go down in those crevice areas because it's 
they're full of uh, thorns and briars and weird things, and you'd have a very hard time getting out of one in time if something big did come at you. You know, it's really not safe to be down in them. So, so yeah, um, it's not always big, well-equipped crews that have anything, and usually it is not at all that have anything happen to them. Because I think, again, all these creatures seem to have a sensitivity to any kind of electromagnetic field um, emitted by a machine. They may even smell, uh, I thought they must smell the oil and the metal on guns when people have them. They're probably very aware of everything that we're carrying. At I would least assume some so, way. yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I got to commend you. I, I, I laughed about this with uh, Robert Schneck, who we also met in Portland, um, about how oh, yeah. adventurous you are. You are so much braver than I am, Linda. She said earlier, folks, <laughs> she's five foot one. You're very, you have a very maternalness about you. You like, you, you remind me of like a, like a school teacher, and and it's like you're out in the woods <laughs> having crab apples thrown at you by mysterious forces. And in the book, at one point, you, uh, I will, I want, I want to return to sort of the portal stuff. You, you mentioned you're like, well, you know, I had met, we gone over the this guy's experience, and he had all the notes, and then it's like, and now it's time for the stakeout. And I'm like, oh my God, Linda's, Linda's going to stake out this. <laughs> This werewolf, this this weird portal <laughs> werewolf thing, she's amazing. So uh, I'm I'm blown away. You're braver than I am by a country mile, for sure. So well, I, I don't. I, I don't was know thinking. I don't. I don't know if I'd be braver than you. It's just maybe it's dumber. In, in, I'd make you. In some I, I I I would hide behind you if we encountered something in the <laughs> in the forest. But what what you were saying in a sense too made me think where it's like it. I don't know. I would have to say, folks, bring your cell phone. But part of me thinks, like, if you just – if people walked in the woods more, they'd be, they'd be more likely to have odd experiences, whether it's, like, a Bigfoot sighting or a, a, a canine cryptid or a portal or something. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're, it's probably not going to happen to you if you go to the mall. But if you're out walking in, in nature, you're probably more likely to experience something, um, you know, out of the ordinary, I think. I agree, you know, and, and it's not like it has to be deep forest. People think, well, right, right. I have to go out to the to the west coast and the great the great huge redwood forests and and you know that's where all the sightings are and where it's all happening. But that's really not true, you know. I don't think anybody's believing that anymore because I think that um, we maybe have slightly different subspecies of some of these animals as they move eastward because um, the terrain changes and they just sort of adapt as best they can to the changing terrain. But it does happen. I mean, I've had really good dogman sighting with footprints left and all kinds of things happening um, in a a little town called Heartland just outside of Milwaukee, really not far at all. And it's just a regular neighborhood where the backyards all meet up. You know, you you look out your back window and you see your neighbors looking out their back window. And... It was as good a sighting as any. It was by a, a woman whose dog wanted to was barking at like one in the morning, and she thought he had to go out and went back out on the deck. And right along the um, border between her yard and the neighbor behind her, they had a kind of a lane of mulch where she planted different things. And it was walking along this mulch lane, and at first she thought it was a man wearing a long gray coat. And then she realized there was just enough light because there was a lot of neighbors had their porch lights or their deck lights or they'd leave a light on at night. And so she had just enough light to really see him. 
And she said he got closer, and she realized it was like a dog or a wolf-dog hybrid walking on its hind legs covered in gray fur. And it just barely cleared a branch that we went back and measured, and it was six feet. So it was six feet tall on its hind legs, paid no attention to her or the dog, just kept walking, walked through, and then went into some bushes that led to a little wild space that then would have enabled it to get out in a big um the big grassy area to the side of of the inter of an interstate, so and then that led to lake country, lots of little lakes around there in that area, and up into the northern Kettle Moraine unit. So, um, I do use maps a lot. They're another really handy tool. You can you think, oh, there couldn't have been anything there. What? How would it be in these people's backyard? And then you look on the map, and you can use. I like atlases just as well as Google Earth, but you you look at, at a combination of things, and you can see, oh yeah, it could go there, and then it went there. And there's always yeah, exactly. a lane yeah. where it could where it could come in from. But um yeah, and we, we even did get oh, she had she had other I was there within a couple of days. She found me right away and I went out and looked around and we found this it was able it was heavy enough, whatever it was. Well we know what it looked like anyway, it was heavy enough to punch footprints into this mulch. And she and I both tried jumping on the same mulch and we weren't able to make a dent. Um, and it yeah. also had, I said, well, you know, I, I don't want to alarm you, but we should go look around your house, around your windows, too. And sure enough, we found several of those same footprints angled at uh, the window that her daughter slept in, um, angled in such a way that it was would have been looking right at the child in her bed. And Ugh. that totally freaked her out. Yeah, yeah. So I advised her to get a trail cam and put it up on her desk. And she did get... Um, photos of a couple of these misty, they look like mist, but they're not really water mist. It's just some sort of translucent substance. Um, Two column-shaped areas of mist uh, separately, uh, separate shots that were taken, as it evidently was up near her desk, because we took a person of the same height and had him stand where they would have had to have been, and it was within a few feet of her deck. Right, right. What amazes me is is the mist... The mist is that's not the first that's not the only mist story in the book. I was actually more amazed in a sense by the daytime photos in the book uh of the mist. Right. At at the at at the I guess it's a farm or or a ranch or I'm not sure what you'd call it. Yeah. Uh, you'll you'll fill me in. But uh talk about that because uh people should buy this book just to see these pictures, folks. It's really and I mean you can say all you want about oh it's could be this, it could be that, it could be like uh, photographic error, or, you know, someone breathing on the thing. It's like, sure, fine, whatever. But if we consider the <laughs> what we want to talk about, which is like, is this something paranormal? It's pretty mind blowing. These these mist, the the mist is really like, it's remarkable. So I guess talk talk about that story and 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 how these how this these mist pictures came to be. Yeah, and and again, you know, we we call it mist because it looks like a mist, but it can't really be because there's no obvious connection to any sort of water phenomena. You know, there's no dew, there's Yeah, yeah. They're, they're they have very discrete edges. It's not like when you see a morning mist and I've seen these over fields and things like that, you know, they're hazy looking. You they look sort of like cloud formations. They're not discrete contours like a, a column that you can make out with edges and probably um, the easiest one to explain this was a daytime one it was uh, taken in the morning by a trail cam or game cam 
that was set to look at directly at a 60-pound deer, a roadkill deer. And the person who owned this hay farm was trying to figure out what had been making mutilations on some smaller uh, roadkill animals that he had seen, like there was a raccoon and a um, possum, that sort of thing. So he had it trained on this deer, and where it was at first, for hours and hours, you can see the, the deer legs sticking out from this kind of grassy nest that he had dropped it into. And then all of a sudden, for about the period of half an hour or so, there were like 90-some um, photos all together. Something was tripping this, whatever it was. All of a sudden, you go from sunny morning, you can see where the sun is, it's clear as a bell, to there is a translucent column of something right over the deer, blocking out its feet so you can't see anything but this column. And it's yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. The it's, time. It's, it's, I'm going to interrupt you to put this over, folks. you got to sure. get this book, folks, because it is, she, uh, Linda puts it, Put, you know, sort of lays out these pictures in sort of a time, a relative time lapse format. You know, we don't see all ninety, thank God, because <laughs> it'd be cool flipbook. <laughs> that would be great. Just, yeah. <laughs> tell that would be cat. Right. Uh, but it's a, it's a, just a baffling. It's a haze. It's like a weird cloud. Part of me was like, could this be insects or something? I don't know. But you know, I'm more favoring sort of this. I don't know what it is. You know what I'm saying? It's like I doubt it's insects. Because, but who knows? But it's a weird. It's a really weird cloud that, uh, you know, I don't know what to make of it, but there's something to it. And I don't think it's like, I don't think somebody breathes on the lens, folks. Like, if it just hung around for 30 minutes and, and disappeared. No. No, well, it was a trail cam. Nobody could have breathed on the lens without showing up right, right, in the right. photo. You know, it was just there. One one second it wasn't there, and then the next, all of a sudden, it was. And it was there as long as whatever it took. Well, the, here's the kicker. When it did disappear, so all of a sudden, okay, the the translucent column of whatever is gone, so were the deer legs. And when he went to him and discovered the deer was gone, he also saw five-toed canine prints very deeply impressed into the soil. And as far as he could tell, they were bipedal. Um, there were no four-paw prints. And it had to go over or somehow through or, what, or under a barbed wire fence um, and then landed on the other side and went to, and he and a friend, the, the, and I'm talking about the owner of this hayfield, uh, mm-hmm. he and a friend tracked it all the way across the neighboring field till they came to the road and then, of course, lost it, you know, on the hard asphalt. But so yeah. something removed it without dragging it. It was picked up. There were no drag marks. It was picked up and carried away by something that made bipedal dog prints. I don't know how much more clear bizarre. you can get than that. Yeah, it is, <laughs> yeah. it's still this very is bizarre. After, this is coming out of, this is like, this is this is, this occurred when the cloud thing was there. Right. Ostensibly, it, it had right? to have. Yeah, yeah. It, it had to have been moved because before the before the thing came, it came and got itself in place there, um, there was nothing except the deer legs, and then when it left, all of a sudden, and it wasn't like it faded out either like a normal mist. It was like all there and then gone, behaved that way either. You know, and right, it wasn't right. a, a windy day. It was just, a, a you know, a normal normal sort of day. And uh, I, I have a, a researcher friend who um, was contacted by somebody who lives near Lake Geneva, maybe about maybe about 10 miles away, who found the exact same thing, 
from his trail camera, and it was almost an identical with a, a column-shaped structure that was over you know, a dead animal. So yeah, and then I've had it's, other other yeah. reports of it too from policemen and all sorts of people. Even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf bane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Well, that's a very rare piece. It shows the wolf in the pentagram, the sign of the werewolf. Werewolf? What's that? Well, that's a human being who at certain times of the year changes into a wolf. You mean runs around on all fours and bites and snaps and bays at the moon? Oh, even worse than that sometimes. You touched on a sort of train of thought I wanted to go down with you, and feel free to sort of connect that to the policeman part if you want, because uh, you talked to, I assume, and I got the impression from reading the book that, like, you, especially you've been doing this for 20-plus years, you interact with a lot of policemen who who may be, aside from you, like the only people who who hear these stories, in a sense, you know, because some, some people dare to tell the police, and, and they in turn, uh, I would assume, sort of like on the spy and sometimes maybe more openly, confirm to you that, yeah, these, these things are reported more often than people might think. Yeah, and you're right. It really usually does have to be on the sly. Um, hmm. they're, nor- they're normally not appreciated by by their superiors if they bring these things out. And I've been told by more than one department in more than one county that they have, you know, a certain pat answer they're supposed to give to people. Um, now, the woman in, in Hartford, Hart- I keep mixing it up with Hartford. There's Hartford and Heartland almost right next door to each other. I think it's Heartland. That woman who saw the the Grayford six-foot-tall creature did get a sympathetic response from a policeman who told her he had gotten similar reports from a couple of her neighbors. Right, right. That's what made me think of this line of questioning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But they're, I mean, they usually do have to keep it on the QT. Um, But, yeah, I have a, a couple of friends who retired early from the uh, a different county's sheriff's department as deputies and they they had between the two of them they have seen four different upright wolf-like creatures in different parts of their territory um just running around doing their thing you know some from mostly from Jeez. a distance but they could tell what they were yeah, yeah. So, and one time they were they were sighting in their turkey hunting guns and so they had um they had scopes of some kind to look at them with, but they they were just kind. They sought me out because they just wanted an explanation, and they were just kind of amazed. Um, one of them had also seen Bigfoot because you, you figure these these people are driving around in the wee hours of the night when um, probably most sightings occur between 10 and and 5 a.m. or dawn. Sometimes during dawn or during sunset. Not all by any means, yeah. but probably probably. Um, you know, more than 50% do. So they're driving in all of these places where most people, not that many people go during the day, much less at night, and um, they're sitting for long periods of time doing their computer work and paperwork, and that gives things that are running around time for for them to uh, lose fear of the vehicle or the person, and maybe also for them to get curious about who's in that vehicle and and want to uh, you know run up and see what they're doing for sitting there for such a long time in what they consider their nighttime territory. Yeah, one would assume that police it's like that old thing with like EMT see the weirdest type of stuff. You know, overnight workers tend to see a lot of uh, right. strange things. This whole thing really still 
it's hard for me to like wrap my mind around because, as I said at the beginning of the conversation, it's like, where do you put these things? To me, they seem they seem more paranormal than than just sort of like the idea that, um, you know, that there's some kind of like bipedal uh, either either a bipedal canine or a bipedal bipedal nest two canines that we don't know about, but. You, you interestingly introduced that kind of idea at the Portland event where you mentioned, you know, you were, you were sort of contemplating, like, could this be a learned behavior, um, mm-hmm. you know? So talk about that aspect of it because I was, I was really like, it opened a whole new door in my mind where I was like, maybe it's possible. Maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's what's happening here. So sort of uh, pontificate a little bit about that. Well, yeah, that was actually, you know, way back in 91, 92, um, probably my leading theory, you know, because I really, I I was looking at them and thinking, well, you know, other things, everybody's seen the dancing dogs, you know, that are trained to walk and run upright and dance around. So we know they can do that. That's not supernatural. And maybe that there was a time when they and I'm, I'm not even talking about evolution, just some local adaptations where, you know, a couple of them happened to be born with oversized paws and found it was easier to balance, and and then they found some um, helpful things came from that, such as being able to stand up and really look around and see what was coming through the the, the tall prairie grasses at you, um, or maybe it was better to carry carry away your prey that you had just killed. Um, in your newly newly um, bicep bicep developed upper limbs, rather than dragging it with your mouth and having to fight off all the skunks and the badgers and everything else that wanted it, you know. So there could have been some real admin, um, uh, real advantages to pe- to these things by doing this. And we do know from studies of wolf behavior that wolves are very intelligent about training their young in certain hunting techniques and all kinds of things. They, they can teach each other behavior. That's that's known for a fact. And so I thought maybe it is possible, you know, that there were some and have been some and that they reproduced and spread out. But the thing is, if that were happening in the wild without motivation by humans or without motivations like having, um, you know, paws torn off in traps or something. I've never had anybody report an injured forelimb on one of these creatures. If that were happening, then we should see in pictures taken in the wild by drones or by helicopters flying over radio-collared um, animals, you know, because they radio-collar whole packs now in various places to study wolf populations. Um, I think of right, the right. Uh, moose, and, moose and wolf study going, up in, going on up in Lake Michigan, uh, for the Isle, on the Isle Royale, where these things are tracked by as individuals, and I even talked to Ralph Peterson, the person who manages that, and said, "Have you ever seen any wolf walking upright for any reason for any length of time?" And he's, "No, we just haven't." And I've I've asked other naturalists and you know people that I run run into, people that I've seek, sought, and the closest I ever came was talking to two trappers in a bar up in the UP, very, very far north UP, and asking if they had ever seen wolves doing anything uh, like stand up on their hind legs or run. And they said, well, you know, if you come and they've got something, they're caught in the trap or whatever, they'll try and rear up, you know, or they may they may rear up to look at you, but then they just drop right back down. 
But I said, but do they run away on their hind legs? Oh, no, we've never seen that. So it's not something that it's occurring in the wild among natural wolves. And so it, while it isn't a supernaturally induced thing to do, maybe and maybe there's influence that we don't know about. I, I don't know. I called my original idea the indigenous dog man, and I titled, I did a forensic, forensic sketch based on most witnesses' reports that's in, um, I believe it's right in The Beast of Bray Road, the, the original book. Mm. Um, but I just right. I just don't know. The classic, the indigenous classic. Dog. Yeah. I, well, it was the one I set out just to explain what all happened, you know, during during that time oh, yeah. when, when it became known. And look what happened next. <laughs> exactly. And and still is happening, which is the crazy part to me. Mm. But um, the, it just didn't seem like you could totally... Because there was also um, a lot of people were telling me this interesting thing, which is that although it looked like a natural wolf or dog or dog hybrid on its hind legs... It did not completely act like one because they'd say, you know, I pulled up, I slowed up to look at it, and it turned its head and looked me in the eyes, and I felt it was giving me this message that if you tell anybody, I'll find you. Or if I wanted to, I could jump on the hood of your car. That's another one. These sort of veiled threats, and they would say, not like in English, like I'm not hearing an English voice in my head. I just feel it's telling me this somehow which is a weird thing for person after person after person after person to say. And that does not strike me as a normal animal. You know, and I always use the example, if you were um, in the woods and you happened to see a bear and it glanced at you and it kept ambling on, as happened to my husband when he was deer hunting one time, um, you know, he did not say to me, you know, that bear turned and it looked at me and it looked in my eyes and it said, if you tell anybody you saw me, I'll come and get you. You know, how crazy does that sound? <laughs> right, right. It's not what normal animals do. They don't do that. They just don't. Yeah. Um, some people communicate telepathically with animals. And Rupert Sheldrake's experiments, as you can read in his book, uh, Dogs That Know When Their Masters Are Coming Home, uh, show us that animals do seem to exhibit scientifically um, testable um, thought transference of some kind or, yeah. or receptive. Um, yeah, like the title does sure. it. So they seem to they seem to know when their when right. their owners are coming home. It's like it seems it's not right. just it seem you know I'm sure I, I I'm positive that there was like uh you know that skeptics try to tear that whole thing apart, but it's like it seems pretty seems pretty clear to me, you know. Yeah, and so many people know it can verify it from their own pets. I mean that exactly. is a fairly normal thing that you can you know almost test. So yeah, it. It just wasn't shaking out, and I still haven't given it up entirely because there may be some incidents where people are just seeing um, some, something that has an injured paw that you can't see the injury maybe, but they're protecting it by walking on their hind legs. That might be, but when you get creature after creature after creature after creature running and leaping and bounding on just their mm. hind legs, that it just doesn't seem normal or natural anymore and I don't know how to explain it um there are no it's interesting because there I've always said from the beginning that you may be seeing what all look 
like upright canines, but actually are coming from different places or different um, are, are manifested in different ways. And I, there are at least three different types of just Native American examples I can give you, where they have, first of all, the very wolf-like creature that was never never human, not human at all. It just can walk upright when it wants to because it's from the spirit world or a different realm, and it can come here. And it's been here for a very very long time, and that is what most people are seeing. They're not our real wolves, but they are mimicking the looks of our real wolves and right. you know, be, be just like them and they can go back to the spirit world. That's the first kind that we've already talked about. Then there's another kind um, that can be conjured up as a sort of a always a spirit. They may e- even uh, be invisible to wh- whomever they encounter, but they're supposed to be set in place maybe even thousands of years ago by a shaman or someone who knew how to do it as guardian spirits and they would usually be found by say sacred grounds or burial grounds that sort of thing and would awaken to sort of harass or scare off whoever came to disturb those grounds so that's a second kind and they may occasionally you know get a glimpse of one then there's another kind that is uh, again, with shamans that have gone along what some some of them might call a dark path, where they can learn to project some sort of energy or force, whether it's their own um, astral or psychic energy, whatever you want to call it, their own spirit, or it's something that they can draw upon that's already all around us that we just don't normally uh, perceive. Um, they they can somehow project it either over their own bodies or separate from their bodies so that almost in a twinkling they can give the appearance of this other creature. And they're also mimicking the natural animals. There are bear walkers, skin walkers, different types of, of uh, creatures that they can manifest as. But the thing is with these, there's use, they're a little different looking than the other ones. They're a little more human. They might be bigger. Their eye shine will be red rather than the normal canine yellow and green. Um, they may have actual shoulders rather than just more highly developed muscles on their forelimbs. Um, they may have more hand-like paws. Hand, they, they're, they're, they may be on feet flat-footed rather than on their their toe pads. And, exactly, um, yeah. They, they are a wide variance. And there's one in the book that's like a glowing there's like a glowing one in the book where it was like, what is, what is going on with that one? So it's, yeah, I think the idea of a projection may, may, may be part of it. And I, 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 I want to pivot just for a second back to the mist because in the book you also mentioned that uh, at one point he came out to check a different um, game camera, and the mist was like behind him. But at the time when he went out there, he didn't see it. It, it when he was out there. It was invisible to him, and then later he took the game camera and he went to change the SD card. I think is the is what happened, and right. it, it took a picture. And behind him was the mist, and uh, right. was, he didn't see it when he was out there. So like the mist is also right. We didn't creep you out, folks, earlier with this this mist stuff. Uh, it's also invisible. So you know who who knows what's going Human on. Human eye. Well, yeah, and I was there when that happened. Um, I, my friend Sandra Schwab and I were out there with him, helping him check the deer, and oh, um, wow. we did not, we did not see any mist. You know, we were looking at him, but um, and we could see him the whole time. 
But then it showed up on the trail camera. You know, he was like waist deep in it. So it, it, it's just, yeah. yeah That's it's spooky, too, if you think he, about it, because yep, yep, yeah, you don't want to be in the mist. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think that I would. No, I really don't. Because to me, it, it seems to me like some manifestation of just a slightly different electromagnetic field. And, you know, our bodies are pretty finely tuned things with the EMF fields we normally have and produce and that we live in and and with in the natural world. And I really think that so many of these things just act like something that is slightly off kilter um, according to, you know, the vibrations of our electromagnetic field that we're supposed to have. And that would make sense if there were a series of parallel worlds and I'm just off the cuff theorizing here, not even theorizing, just uh, off-the-cuff, rambling, subjectively, you know, what if that's that... That's what the show's all about, Linda. Yeah, this is the... <laughs> we're we're digging into this to this mystery here on the show, Halloween special. Yeah, go go for it. Keep, keep, keep rocking and rolling. Into the hardcore. Well, if there are indeed these many parallel worlds, and they're each... Say that each one is just a grade different in their EMF frequency that they have. They could possibly, you know come into our world and be seen in different um, forms, different variations of, of light or of solidity. And then we would look a little different maybe to them too. But things oh. like this, things like this mist could show up, um, you know, not with our bare eyes, but, but on, on this electronic device that we have that maybe captures a little more of a of a range of the EMF fields than than we would be used to, and that would explain why all the pictures of them are blurry, because they're projecting a slightly different EMF field than what we're tuned to. Um, and I'm talking about the creatures now. Most of them are right. blurry, but I think it's so telling that, you know, you go back to the Patterson Gimlin film of uh, Patty the mm-hmm. Bigfoot which I think are very convincing. Yeah, I know they're terribly controversial, but the more I look at them and oh, I'm yeah. a trained I, I like it. I'm a, I'm a fan. I, I think it's I think it's real. Yeah. I I do too. And they're clear. And the thing was, those were not shot with any sort of electronic. They were shot with the regular old, you know, real film, R E E L film, where it wasn't a matter of having to match up to um an EMF field. And I don't know if there's yeah. if that even holds that scientific water. It's just what I have thought about, you know, and, and wondered if there's a way that could be tested. Yeah. Well, whatever these entities, for lack of a better term, are, it seems like there's some kind of uh, camouflaging going on, in a sense. You know, clearly with the mist. I mean, yeah. I don't know what – yeah. It's like it's distorting It's distorting your view, you know, of something. I don't know. It's very – it, it, it's it's oh god, pardon the pun. It's mystifying. It really is. It's really uh, <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating, and I don't know yeah, what to make it, of it. it and and the, the creepy part, in the sense about this kind of stuff too, is like by the very nature of the mystery, it's like we don't have any stories of people that go into the portal and come back. We don't have any stories of people who run afoul of these dog creatures. Has anyone ever like shot at one? Oh sure, oh sure. Yeah, that's happened. Um various times and it's the same in most cases as people say with the Bigfoot where they're sure right. they hit it 
you know, they can hear the thud thud. In some cases, they've emptied automatic clips into one, and it generally just runs off into the brush, is never found, sometimes doesn't leave even so much as a drop of blood trail behind it. Um, yeah. It's like they have Kevlar on under their fur. Now, there there has been an incident. There was one time where um, I did a talk in a little uh, southern Wisconsin town, and after it was all done and just about everybody had left, this older farmer came up to me. It was a very rural community. And he said, you know, I'm pretty sure I shot one of those. I saw, you know, the wolf-like thing. It was walking upright. It was years ago. He said it was on my farm. I thought it was a wolf, and I was scared. So I shot it. And then I was afraid <laughs> to report it because, you know, that was big-time wolf protection days. And oh, yeah, that makes sense, fine. yeah. Yeah, he didn't want to get fined or have his gun confiscated or anything else. So he said, I just buried it on my farm. I said, well, have you ever thought of digging it up? And he says, uh-uh, no way. Nope, let's see where it is. You know? <laughs> I would have oh gladly had him dig it up, but he would, would not hear of it, of course. But, you know, this guy had nothing to to gain by telling me that. In any way, he didn't seem to be getting his jollies out of it, and he was actually really alarmed when I suggested digging it up to see if there was a, a skeleton there. But the other bad thing, or not bad thing, but but confusing thing, people say, "Well, how come there aren't any dead ones?" And the answer is, there may well be with these upright canines, because if you have one and it's dead and it doesn't look like anything but a canine, not upright and it's anymore. Not walk, <laughs> it's, exactly, it can't walk upright when it's dead. You would just say, "Well." that's a really big dead wolf or a really big dead dog. Oh, it's kind of funny long pause, but other than that, you know, that wouldn't even seem so strange that you'd think, you know, more than once or twice about it. And so you wouldn't really know. With a Bigfoot, you would know. You would have to know. Right, right. That's that's completely different. But both of them seem to not care as much about guns as they do about cameras in many cases. Well, if there's something camouflaging itself, that would make sense. You know what I'm saying? It's right. like they, they, because that to me, yeah. I almost think, in a sense, like there's an observer effect at work here, where it's like uh, it, 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 it gets seen, and then it, it, it takes on the form of this dog thing. You know what I mean? No, I, I've had people um, suggest that, and I think it's not crazy because, um, again. Cutting-edge physicists are saying the human brain is a quantum computer or, in effect, works like one, and that they they are seeing applications um, to which they can make different things happen and, and uh, tie inventions to it. You know, you can just see all the, the money bells ringing, ding, ding, ding. Not the pure scientists, yeah, yeah. but many of the people who fund this sort of research. But if our brains are really quantum computers, then they can react on a quantum level with other entities, other matter, other um, energies, perhaps, maybe a better way to put it. So if you were trained in a certain way to do this or were able to, or maybe the other thing is using your brain, you know, just like we would pick up our laptop and use it, it uses our brain to then manifest or project or show an image, three-dimensional perfect image of uh, you know what they have found rattling around in our heads. Maybe yeah. it's an image of a Bigfoot. 
you know, maybe it's an uh, image of a ghost. And, you know, I actually had an experience that sort of um, points that this could be possible. I won't say proof proves it, but um, it happened when I was doing research. For, I did, uh, I authored the, the Weird Michigan books. Um, the Weird, Weird Michigan, your travel guide to blah, 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 um, Barnes & Noble. And I had to do a lot of traveling all over <laughs> Michigan. I put like five, five and it was fun, five, like 5,000 miles in my car. And wow. Sometimes, sometimes a, a place would just, you know, strike me as interesting, and I'd stop in and I'd try and find the historian. And that happened in Manistee um, along the west, western edge of, of Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. I walked in there one day, and um, the historian pointed me to an old German. I said, is there any place that's supposed to be, you know, it has a legend or haunted or anything like that. And normally I would just walk in and get a little short statement from the owner and take a picture and go because that was all I really had time to do. Now, this lady did not know me from Adam, did not know I was coming that day, knew nothing about it. She was running other businesses in this old brick building that was built by a German family um, around 1900, and then several of them died in it. But one one of the young um, brothers in the family uh, died of diphtheria when he was like a young teenager. And he was seen often in the basement of that building. He did had poltergeist-type energies, sometimes even seen outside in the parking lot. And, uh, yeah, Basement Billy was what they called him. So I went there to see if I could see Basement Billy. And I walked in, and she took me downstairs, it was a big, huge ware room type house or type of, of room yeah. with um, nothing in it, just kind of a partial dirt floor. And all of the ductwork was wrapped in brown paper, so there was nothing shiny and reflective. One bare light bulb on the far end and one, one bare light bulb by the stairs behind us. And I said, well, you know, let's just stand here in the dark, pitch dark. Just turn off the lights. We'll just stand here in pitch dark for five minutes and see if anything happens. And I'm just ticking off the time in my mind, thinking, okay, you know, 30,000, trying to count the seconds, whatever. And all of a sudden, this thing appeared like maybe 10 feet away from me. It was a low ceiling, and it was right near the ceiling. So it was like seven feet up and about, um, you know, really not very far away from me at all. And it was a a globe the size of a basketball. Now, if you've read Monsters Among Us, you may recognize this from another story. It was very similar to it. Um, A globe the size of a basketball that was not giving off light. It was not lighting up the room, but I could see it. It was just this this, um, round thing, and I felt like it was aware of me, like it was sentient and trying to check me out, like it was curious, and I thought, no. Were you, did the other people see it too? Well, I'll get to that in just a second. Oh, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I'll tell you what. (laughs) That's no problem, no problem, because that's the big punchline. So the way, and it was still perfectly pitch black. I literally couldn't see my hands in front of my face. And I looked back at it. It was still there. And then just I, just as I managed to raise my camera up to get, because I had a good camera hanging around my neck and my hands on the camera, just as I raised the camera up, it slowly just kind of collapsed in on itself and it was gone. And that was really frightening in itself because I saw that. So I didn't get the picture of it, but then, um, I heard the the lady kind of take it, draw, draw her breath in sharply, and I said, "Should we turn the light back on?" <laughs> I really I wanted nothing but to get out of that basement more than anything yeah. else in the world right then. So she turned it on, and she told me she saw Basement Billy, and I said, "Well, what did you see?" And she said, "Oh, just like they all say he is, you know, 
like a young boy dressed in old-fashioned clothing, and he was just standing there. And and then I described what I saw. We saw two different things. We both saw a lighted object in that basement where there was no light, but we saw different forms of it. I was expecting nothing. So I think I saw the plane orb of, of just electromagnetic field or something like that. I don't know what to call it, really. And she saw the full form that she'd heard so many stories about, and I think she might have even seen it once before, because that's what she was expecting. That's crazy. So she saw a ghost of uh, whatever, of a little kid, Well, I, while I you were seen, seeing this ball of light. And neither of us said anything to the other one, because I, I, if she was like me, I was just trying to grapple with what this thing was. You know, and I wasn't right, like right. going to yell out. I wasn't going to yell out and spoil it. And I think she was the same way. And <laughs> yeah. So I, I heard her take, she kind of went, oh, you know, and that's that's when I, I knew she had seen something. So we then turned the light on and quickly departed from the basement. But, yeah, that book, if anybody has the, the uh, Weird Michigan book, it's called uh, Weird Michigan Sees Basement Billy. <laughs> <laughs> was, that's absolutely it was, it was amazing. Scary. It was deeply frightening. <clears throat> Deeply frightening. Really? But, well, because something was was using our consciousness to show itself to us. Mm, Obviously, we we weren't manipulating one another's consciousness, you know. It was. Mm. So, yeah, I I, I didn't. Yeah, it's one of those things where you hear it and it's like, I wish that would happen to me, but then, like, you don't really want it to happen to you. Yeah, I guess I I can see where you're coming from in a sense because, yeah, I'm imagining, like, that would be pretty terrifying, uh, especially, yeah. as you say, you, you felt like it sensed that you, there was like a connection. It wasn't just like you were seeing some kind of like a uh, uh, natural phenomenon, for lack of a better term. Or no, no, and there was absolutely no place for any kind of light thing like that to come from down there. You know, there were no windows, and there, you know, the lights were out, everything was in brown paper, dirt floor, there was nothing that could have possibly created i didn't have my camera up to my eyes yet so i wasn't looking through the camera i saw that with my yeah. bare eyes and and you know i had a similar experience out in that hayfield with the owner and with um a, a colleague of ours so it's happened to me twice now where i've seen that with another witness who except in that case we all saw the same thing of three of us at the same time but in this hmm. first case we were we were seeing what we what was in our minds and mine mine was just formless just like okay how long till I can go drive to the next town because I really was tired I remember and I just I wanted to get going and I wasn't always like that it was a lot of fun don't get me wrong doing that driving around but sometimes sometimes at the end of the day you know and I joked about this with a couple of my ride-along people that came with me on these trips you know after just so many weird things you look you're taking pictures of statues and stuff you could be you finally get to the point where you could see Bigfoot, you know, dancing the two-step in the ditch net right next to you and just go, oh, no, not Bigfoot. No, I can't take that. And you just <laughs> drive off. You can, you, you can uh, max out, you know, and I was I was that And maybe it was because I was sort of empty and maxed out that day that I was mm. able to see it and, and that it felt like it could approach me. I don't know. That's interesting, yeah. You're sort of like your defenses were down in a sense, yeah, because you've been doing – because you've been searching and chasing this these mysteries for so long, yeah. 
It's interesting. Well, right. it's, it's remarkable in a sense because it's like I'm, I haven't had really any paranormal experiences happen to me. I'm listening to you, and you're like, you're telling me all these crazy stories. Like, <laughs> I, I am going to take a walk in the woods to see if I, <laughs> if I can encounter something. Uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. But so this thing just looked like alone. a ball of light, and the lady. That see that experience, and what see, this is the kind of thing that like people who listen to the show will get, and people who are in the community will understand. People on the outside, no, it's like, folks, Linda would not make this story up. She's she's not she's not going to make up a story about seeing a, 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 this this glowing thing, and she's as mystified by it as as all of us. And and to me, the the fact that you saw it as one thing, and, and the woman saw it as a really distinctly different uh, sight, right. Is is quite is quite remarkable, you know. It's I think it says a yeah. lot about the phenomenon. Whatever, what what you know, we still don't know much about it, but it says something. Right, and you know, if she were trying to put one over on me, which she wasn't. I mean, she had other business. She was nice about it, but it wasn't her big thing, you know. But but um, yeah. if she if she were trying to get me to see something, she would have said, "Well, what did you see?" And then said, "Oh, yeah, that's what I saw too." But she just told me what she saw, and and I knew then it was not what I saw, but it was still a light form, you know. And I just people say, well, what do you think it was? And I say, I think it was an electromagnetic manifestation of the light form, but I don't know how or what or why. I I just don't. We don't have. I don't have that knowledge. Maybe some people are able to take themselves to. A, a place where they're fed knowledge, but I haven't achieved that. I just observe. Oh, I, no. I still, I, I feel I'm the reporter, you know, and I'm there to say what I saw, felt, experienced, or more, more often, what, and more importantly, what other people saw, felt, and experienced. Right, right. If if, if it happens to you, it's a it's a lucky break slash <laughs> sometimes right. nightmarish right. situation. So yeah. People will say, well, if if I see it, it's pretty convenient, you know, which makes me always reluctant to tell my experiences I because, of course, yeah. it would be. Again, though, that's one of those things that's easier to say from the com- uh, from the safety and comfort of Twitter or Facebook where it's like, yeah, dude, well, you're not going out into the woods. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like the old ads about UFOs. It's like, well, how come I don't see any UFOs? It's like, how often do you look up, you know? <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's true. And a lot of people who um, see them would say they wouldn't They wouldn't have wanted to, yeah, exactly. Now, isn't it one of the paradoxes, we can kind of maybe dig into this a little bit, because like, I feel like I've heard this sort of like vehement argument from the skeptics who just like can't open their minds to trying to figure this out, so they just immediately have to be like, no, it's not real. But like the argument is like that the, the dogs can't, can't they, they, like you could train a, a, some kind of different ape to like walk around on two feet, like they have them in the circus and stuff. And and maybe with a dog you could, but it's like super unlikely or or impossible because of the uh, the physicality of a dog for them to walk on two feet for like a you know as a as a as a, as a, as a lifestyle I don't know what you would call it as a as an everyday sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, normal habit. They they do in in most cases show that they can drop down to all fours if they want. You know, they don't have to go around. It's right, not an either-or right. type of thing, you know. So there is that possibility too, because most times people aren't watching them, you know, run like marathon races. It's mostly short sprints, and we don't know how long they could go on running. You know, nobody's ever had one to test, you know. So it may be that 
they've developed this tolerance to um, being a biped just for short amounts of time. And that's really most of the sightings are just, um, unless the thing is standing there, um, if it's running, it's over in seconds, you know, so you haven't really yeah, yeah. seen a very long demonstration of how, how it could do that. But it is true, you know, that um, that's one thing I've often said. That's why it doesn't seem like it should be natural for them. But yet, on the other hand, and this is the, this is the, really the only thing that keeps me in it and the reason that I got curious in the first place is that people keep seeing these things and they're doing <laughs> odd they're, they're they're performing in strange ways, you know. And why? Why do so many people keep on seeing all of these things with a much more consistency than one would expect um, be, between their descriptions? Exactly, exactly. It's a weird. It's and again, like we established earlier, it's it's these aren't people that have read the book and then they see one the next day. It's like it's the opposite of that. Not at so all. Yeah, yeah, and again, and and to your point, again, it's like next time you hear the skeptics, in a sense, it's like we're not talking about Planet of the Apes here. We're not talking about like dogs that are like walking around regularly, but it's something, you know, much like a lot of our other paranormal events. It's like it's a, it's a very split second phenomenon, <laughs> in a sense. You know, it may be thirty right. seconds, but it's still like an incredibly short amount of time. It, and and I think folks like you and me are, are like people in ancient times trying to figure out lightning. It's like it only happens for like a split second. How are you going to even figure out what it is or where it comes from, you know? Right, exactly. Well, and, you know, it isn't as if these things are some invented new form of creature. I mean, it's not like it's not like we're seeing the old, you know, logging camp Snallygaster, whatever that thing was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a folk tale. But it's not like it's not like we're saying everybody is suddenly seeing um, small green elephants with spikes on their back and horses' tails, you know, and it's nothing like that. We're seeing an, an an animal that lives here has lived here for very, very many years. I mean, eon, not not eons. That would be the wrong thing to say. Um, millennia would be safe to say. It's part yeah. of our ecosystem and our natural um, state of being. Uh, wolves have been here and have their part to play in all of this. It's not like something unknown in form is interjected. It's that something that looks like this natural creature is interjected in our midst, doing things and behaving in ways that the other normal creature does not and that we are not usually expecting to see um, a known animal behaving that way. It does fit with cryptozoology, and you kind of almost have to expand, in a sense, the original sort of definition of cryptozoology, which is like mystery animals and out-of-place creatures, to also include mm-hmm. sort of like creatures that are behaving out of the ordinary. I think that, that that's why I think the whole cryptid, bipedal cryptids should be, you know, put into the cryptozoology category for now until we can figure out more about them. If we can. Yeah, and I think I think that they generally have. You know, I think it's just really, you know, the last few years, as you say, becoming um, accepted enough among people who study these things to say that, yep, there really is a lot of anecdotal evidence. There are even our footprints that we have, um, other sorts of, of evidence, not proof, but evidence. And 
people are willing to take a look at it because the the witness um, testimony is just getting amazing in in terms of how many people we have, the diversity of the witnesses, their credibility. Um, you know, people like to make fun. I'll, I've had people ask me while I was having a, or after a talk when I have questions. Um, I had one guy say, "Well, are many people who see these things named Bubba?" You know. <laughs> Oh, like to try and make a joke? Yeah, to try and make a joke. Yeah, like like he's trying to, you know, put down backcountry people or, you know, think that they're all, um, yeah. or people will say, well, well, they're all drunk. People that say, well, no, when's the last time you had too much to drink and you saw a natural animal standing up? You don't see hallucinations from just having too much to drink. You pass out and yeah, then you get yeah. Uh, when you get alcoholism in the, the DTs, well, then you're going to see some hallucinations, but it probably won't be a really consistent thing from what I've heard. So, um, and, it, and it would be quite different. So, you know, all these things that people throw up um, against it, I think, are defe- defense mechanisms because they don't want to think. There's a certain denial that takes place. We don't want to think often that such things can be occurring or many people can be seeing them. To me, all it does is help prove that there is indeed some sort of spirit world, you know, just like the Bible says, the Native Americans traditions say, um, and that if you if you believe that, if you're a person of any sort of faith and you believe that, then why wouldn't you believe that that world can manifest sometimes, you know, when all, again, all of the traditions and religious tells us, tell us that they do. They interact, they become agents of different powers and principalities, and we don't know what they are or what they're up to. And again, not everything everyone sees would be that. Some might still be natural animals that just learn to walk upright. There may be an undiscovered type of primate roaming North American forests. Um, I don't know. It's it's still it's the jury is still so far out, you know, that I I just don't even anticipate a verdict in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very difficult. Um, yeah, well, it's interesting in a sense because it could be all these different things. I think it almost is in a sense. You know what I mean? I mean, there may be a few of these. Bi- there may be some that have. There may be some instances where it's a, a wolf that that takes up the a bipedal stance briefly to scurry through a backyard, you know, or or, or sniff into the garbage or something like that. And then there's other ones where it's like. It could be entirely interdimensional or something. It could be like uh, some kind of energy force putting on this this bipedal canine encrypted uh, persona as it as it gets noticed by somebody driving down the road. So it's it's very you almost don't want to put a, put any category. You can't put it in any categories in a sense, you know, because we just simply don't know what it is. Right. That's exact. That's exactly what I think. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Now, this book, Monsters Among Us, that came out like a year and a half ago or so. And again, I'm sorry we didn't get you on the show when it first came out, but I'm glad well, I'm glad we did tonight. It was just about Halloween. a year. And, yeah, okay. Yeah, it, it was just um, a year, exactly. Oh, nice, nice. So it's like an anniversary. And, and it worked out well for yeah. us because uh, we got you on for Halloween night. So what, what, do you, what have you been working on since? What, what kind of stuff uh, can people expect, you know, from Linda Godfrey in the future? Well, I'm working on another book. Um, when it comes out, I've got a couple of months to finish it, and then 
when it comes out will be up to the publisher, which is um, Penguin Random House. So it, it just is a matter of when it fits in their list the best. So I can't yeah. really predict that. But I'm working very hard on it, and I've got some pretty interesting things, you know, that I've, I've kind of put together. It, and it's just coming at it from another tack, um, something I haven't really looked a lot at before. So that's kind of interesting. And if you want to keep up with me, um, not to put in a self-plug, but you can go to my blog, oh, no, lindagodfrey.com. Yeah, it's just lindagodfrey, G-O-D-F-R-E-Y, dot com. No WWs or anything. It's my WordPress blog. And I put up, sometimes I'll put up um, reports that come in that seem very compelling, and uh, I don't have an immediate place to put them in a book, but I want them to be seen. So you'll see things that are there but not in the books. Um, sometimes just little things that happen. Um, I try and keep up some recent podcasts. You'll have to send me your um, a link that I can send people to for this show, and then I'll, I'll put this up on there. But it also has a list of my books. It has a, There's a form where you can send me your own experience that you had, um, and, and my email is also there. So um, all, all kinds of things, question, they're uh, basic questions people ask, Lots and lots that you can uh, find there. Just, again, lindagodfrey.com. Nice, nice. Now, we're almost near the end of the show, but I wanted to ask you just in general, like, what do you ever, like, reflect on this? Because uh, you're one of the few people I've talked yeah. to on the show, in a sense, who, like, uh, helped usher in a whole genre, in a sense. You know, it's that you really put these wolf uh, bipedal canine cryptids. I, lo- I like that term the most. But what, what do you call it? What, what's your, what do you call these things in general? Do you have a, a, a preferred name? General, just generally just uh, upright unknown canines. There you go. Is, well, is you put I've... these things on the map, the upright unknown canines. So, I mean, how does that feel? What do you, do you reflect a little bit on that? You know, it's, it's pretty amazing. You've been <laughs> doing this for 25 years. Why do you think this happened to you? How, how do you, you know? <laughs> How how did this adventure unfold in a sense? Do you ever think about that? Well, I guess, you know, some people would call it kismet. Some people would call it God's plan. Although I'm like, why are you, why, why did you plan this for me? You know, it's, it's nothing that I <laughs> yeah. ever, it, it, it's nothing I ever expected or intended. Um, it's for some reason I was in the right place at the right time to do that first story. And something in it just touched a chord in people that I never expected, my editor never expected. I thought, we thought it would die down in two weeks and never be thought of anymore. And here it is again, 26 years later. And so it's just um, astounding to me that it has endured. I guess part of it was that really there hadn't been anyone who was collecting large bodies of uh, reports of uh, canines or things that looked like werewolves. So anytime anyone had some sort of an interest in looking for some sort of contemporary representation of werewolves for Halloween, usually, or whatever, um, I pretty much for a long time was almost the only person keeping track of those things. Not quite. My friends, friend Nick Redfern and other people were, were doing this. There were some a few mentions here and there, but not in a consistent manner. So um, people were tracking me down and finding me, you know, snail mail for 10 years before, um, you know, I, I had web presence and that kind of thing. And it just still floors me every time I think about how many people there are who have seen these things and are seeking for answers and looking at if nobody puts them together, 
then um, you know the answer is going to be that much farther away. So I I think of myself as sort of the accidental keeper of the lore because that's how it was in the beginning. I felt people are sending me these heartfelt stories that they just want someone else to see and validate. And yeah. I have the obligation to do that for them. They send it to me. Somebody had, Maybe it'll all be important someday. Who knows? So I felt obligated to be the one to keep and put them together. And my mind is not one that just runs for, ooh, let's collect a big bunch of scary stories. That doesn't interest me. I'm not interested in really horror per se, although there's certainly a lot of terrifying aspects to many of these these stories. But what interests me is the connections between them, what explanations there may be for them, making some sort of sense of them, connecting them to things that have gone before us. And that's what what really intrigues me and, and keeps me wanting to be at it. But um, I, I just never really expected it. My, my degree originally is in art education, and I was working on my master's in library education when I decided I didn't want to do anything in a junior high library after having a chance to teach him. Well, see, that's why I thought you, yeah, that's why I thought you seemed like a, like a history teacher or something, librarians. <laughs> yeah, right there, too. I was an art teacher. I was an art teacher, which is a little wilder than the librarian teacher, but, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I did teach art, you know, I, I was doing that part-time at different schools during those 10 years and the years after I left the newspaper, um, you know, I've had, and I like teaching art. I really enjoy it. They're, I, especially yeah. the younger the kids, the better I like them. They're so open and and free with with their expression. So I've done that and and enjoyed it too. But um, you know, in the end, this is what's really. I and I've also been a commercial and fine artist, fine arts artist, um, and do many of my own illustrations, which also makes it fun. But um, I guess. I just feel like somehow I was put in that place at that time. It befell to me, and I've just been doing my job. Yeah, you've been like enlisted as the as the uh, unknown upright canine expert. It's quite the. Uh, <laughs> it's really it's really remarkable. It's just sort of like if you take if you pull the camera back, it's like uh, just it's funny the way life unfolds. Sometimes you know it's pretty amazing. And you've done amazing work. I gotta say it. It, oh, go ahead. <laughs> it's delay is going to kill us, Linda. I don't know what we're going to do. Well, uh, I did. I had one other note here that I, I wanted to bring up. Uh, connects to a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, and I should have mentioned it. You know, it's uh, completely out of context now, in a sense. But it's, uh, but we got like ten minutes left. It, it, I noticed that in uh, one of the cases, the similar mist case, the woman, uh, the family where the house had the mist. After and canine encounters, um, after these or or even as these were going on, there was like weird, ghosty type activity in the home um, mm-hmm. that that adds a whole other layer to this thing, which was completely blew yeah. me away. So I, I guess talk a little bit about that as we as we head toward the end of the show here. Yeah, and that's another thing that even when the creatures themselves don't look like anything but pure wolf or pure upright dog things, um, very often, very frequently, people will tell me they started having um, poltergeistic things. In in that particular house, I think their bathtub uh, was turning on and off. Now, this woman's husband is a 
building contractor. He prides himself, I've met him several times, in doing perfect work and keeping everything in his property in perfect repair. And here's their bathtub water just turning itself on and off. Um, Things like their little dog looking at something in the corner and barking and barking and barking and nothing being there. Um, You know, that sort of thing. And I've heard other very similar stories. Um, It seems seems to happen very often with Bigfoot sightings, too, and actually this happened to me, where you're sitting in your house and all of a sudden it sounds like something just slammed uh, a fully grown heifer cow into the siding of your house. You know, and I've seen houses where the siding was actually dented in. Um, we had wood cedar siding at the place where it happened to me, but but um, it was unmistakable. Not just like a little, you know, bang or something like, but just like something that right, right. big was slammed, and you're expecting the windows to crumble. That's another fairly off. People will say that um, they hear footsteps coming up on their porch. There's things looking in their windows at them. Um, other weird noises and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that does add another layer to it because you're saying, well, this this must be just a known animal walking on its hind legs. I see it over there. Yeah, I can see it. It's got a wolf head. It's got a wolf body on its toe pads. It's, you know, it must be a big natural wolf. But then all these weird things start happening. Yeah. And there was one, fa- there was one family that it got so bad, it was doing things like um, convincing people that it taking on the appearance of a family member or making sounds that sounded to them like a member of the family was talking to them to get them outside. Oh, and my God. Now I've also heard, yeah, yeah, I mean, it gets really creepy. And that particular one, I think, was near a Native American reservation. And I was just reading the other day that there are, um, that can be a trademark of, you know, a, a shaman who is projecting a certain animal. So and and I don't I don't get into how that is done or what they do or anything like that. That's I kind of have my wall where I stop. I, I, that's right, enough right. for me to know. And I don't I don't want to know the hows, whys, wheres, or anything like that. It's just not not something I want to know anything about. So you have to go somewhere else for that. But I can note the connections, and that is what people have have said in many cases. Yeah, it almost makes you wonder if it's like. I'm imagining like something in another dimension running and then, you know, maybe get maybe it gets distracted by something in that dimension and it snaps into ours and slams into the house, you know. <laughs> like why why else would why else would a large mysterious thing like come slamming into, you know, a home? That's it's very it's very weird. Yeah, it's a, this, this it's as good an me. explanation as any. Yeah, it's as good an explanation <laughs> as any. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Well, all right. I think we're uh, I think we're going to wrap it up because I'm I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty tuckered out from a long Halloween. And I'm sure uh, you are as well. Um, I hope. Did you give out a lot of candy? Yeah, it was pretty cold here. Not quite as much as last year, but there were st- still lots of kids, cute kids in their costumes, and uh, we had our dog dressed up in his little pumpkin hat and jester collar. So, you know, he was all ready too. So it was it was fun. It was a good evening. And then maybe even I'm better sure. by talking I'm sure. to you. Oh, thank you very much. Well, Linda, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Happy Halloween. The book we talked about tonight was Monsters Among Us. Of course, she's written the classic Beast of Bray Road. 
uh, Weird Michigan, a whole bunch of other stuff. And you can find out more at lindagodfrey.com. Thank you so much again. Thank you for spending your Halloween with us. I really do appreciate it. And it was awesome meeting you in Portland. Hopefully uh, it's not the last time we uh, our paths cross. Right. I certainly hope so. Thank you, Tim. And many thanks also to all of your listeners. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, listeners. Have a good night, Linda. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Happy Halloween to you, too. All right, folks. Well, there you go. That was Linda Godfrey. Thank you very much uh, to Linda for coming on the show and having having Halloween night free for us for the uh, first and only uh, BOA Audio Halloween Night Spooktacular. Uh, what's going on with the show? I got a new phone. We had Linda on Skype, so we don't know for sure. We can't judge anything yet. <laughs> it's an unfolding it's an unfolding process. We, uh, Linda was on through Skype through the through the switchboard, uh, but I I'm here on my new phone. So I noticed that there wasn't any crackling, which is good. And hopefully, uh, the folks in the chat room said the sound was good. And I think that'll uh, improve the quality of the show as we head toward uh, the end of season ten here. So again, I can't thank Linda Godfrey enough for coming on the show. Uh, the website, lindagodfrey.com, the book, Monsters Among Us, and a whole bunch of other uh, cool stuff. And she's doing yeoman's work, man. i got to tell you, folks, uh, I put her over huge in the show, but she's she's doing stuff that I wouldn't dare to do. I I really wouldn't be heading out into the woods where people are saying they saw uh, these, these, these dogmen. But she's out there, and she's encountering weird stuff, and that's what makes it really cool, too. Because it's like, as I said during the show... Now I want to go out into the woods, but I don't know if I want to encounter a dog, man. Uh, next week's program, I couldn't tell you, but we're finally through the Halloween season, and we're into the holiday season, and uh, who knows what's going to happen. But I have I have a real liking kinship with November. I really like it a lot, so I don't know why. I don't even know what that means. But I like November, and we're going <laughs> we're gonna to have good shows, I'm sure of that, because this is episode 22 and uh, it means we're really close to the end now. We only got about, uh, you know, a little over ten more shows to go, and we got a lot more folks to talk to. So who knows? We may have to stretch this one out because there's a lot of uh, classic BOA Audio guests I want to get on here for the final season. I know you're thinking of the folks as uh, I'm saying that. You're William Zables. You're Adam Go Rightly's. You're Paul Kimball's. We got to get these folks on season ten. This is ridiculous. So they'll uh, they'll be on. Maybe in November, maybe in December, but they'll be on before the season ends. So that's going to be exciting. And we'll have information on next week's show at Banal of America and BOA on Facebook. Uh, just punch in those. Generally, we try to announce uh, next week's guest by the, by the Thursday, fr- uh, Friday, let's be honest, Friday or Saturday uh, before the next show. So pop on over to Banal of America Friday, Saturday, uh, and – you listen to the MP3 now, so you don't need that. And that's about it. And send me an email or let me know on Facebook how the sound is with the new phone. We went to uh, Best Buy and, and bought a brand-new cordless landline telephone. So hopefully we can keep the lo-fi element of the show, the low-tech sound, with uh, less crackliness and less weird ghosts coming through uh through the connection and on that note that's a good segue happy halloween my friends thank you for joining us tonight until next week this is tim and all thanking you for listening and signing off